Hey, welcome back to Bible Line. I'm your host, Pastor Jesse Martinez. And in today's video, we are looking at the last sermon in our verse-by-verse series through the book of Galatians called No Other Gospel. We're talking about do good unto all men. This is some great stuff in how we're supposed to deal with the lost man and deal with our fellow brother and sister in Christ. If this is the first video that you're seeing in the No Other Gospel series, check out our YouTube playlist called No Other Gospel. Make sure to like, comment, and share this video so other people who have not been exposed to the channel can find us. And if you have not yet subscribed, make sure that you hit the subscription button and the notification bell so you get an update every time that we post a video. It's been a wonderful opportunity to do this series. I pray it's been a blessing to you. Enjoy today's video. We're going to be getting to the uh, the end of Galatians, so if you'll take your Bible and go to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're in the conclusion here, and um, there's some really good headings in the Schofield Bible. I like it. Um, we're going to talk about those briefly. Uh, it's important to know that as Paul is coming to a close here, he's going to be highlighting really the main things he wants to say before departing. Remember how we saw in Galatians chapter 4 that there was a change between the way that Paul was treated when he was there and he was teaching. Remember, this was not the church of Galatia. This is in the region, about nine different cities there. And there were a lot of uh, churches that were started, and Paul had come in and given them the gospel, and they were set free by the truth. And as a result of that, Uh, they began to grow, and they came under attack by people who taught the law for salvation. Um, They were educating them in the Mosaic Law, the practices of the Mosaic Law. One of the biggest ones, which they all thought was a a sign, was for the men's circumcision. So if uh, you were a believer in their view and you were not yet circumcised, you needed to do that. And it was an unnecessary thing because we're not saved by the act of circumcision. Um, we're saved by faith in Christ. Uh, but they had forgotten that. And many of them were now warring with one another, and there were even groups, it seems to, to be shown in the Scripture there in Galatians 4, that were now against Paul. It wasn't so much as though we just agree to disagree. They were against him. And that brought him a lot of grief. And uh, he, he spoke plainly, and he said, I, I have, I'm concerned for you that you are going off onto a path that does not lead others into eternal life, but actually just keeps them in bondage. And as he's writing here in this last chapter, he talks about bearing one another's burdens. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He talks about how it's important that we sow to our spirit and not to our flesh. And we looked at the interpretation there. And he also talks very clearly to those who are not uh, being caught up in this lordship salvation, in this works-based gospel message. He says, don't be weary in well-doing, because the time is going to come where we're going to bear fruit. And it's important that you and I remember that, especially as we have these series on Sunday evenings, and you know, as people continue to grow and learn and go through the Christian life, you're going to be tempted to quit. I just watched a video um, of a YouTube channel relatively small channel, probably less than 100 subscribers. Um, But he made a video about how do you know you're called in the ministry? And he gave three different types of uh, proofs for being called in the ministry, and none of them had biblical support. 
he said his call in the ministry has been verified because he never felt like he wanted to quit. <laughs> There's going to come a day where you're going to feel like you want to quit. We should not really be basing our spiritual decisions off of how we feel. Now, is, is how we feel important? Yes, it is. But what is important about that is how you feel, you need to apply truth to what you're feeling. I mean, we can be deceived very easily by things that people say or what we thought they said, but they actually didn't say. Um, going into ministry or serving the Lord is not a, it's not an emotional thing. Could you be led um, and have different emotions a part of that? Yes, but that's not the determining factor. Um, you know, based off what we talked about this morning, we're all priests. Like, well, Jesse, I don't work at a church. I don't, I'm not, you know, in, in a church every day. How can I be a priest? Well, maybe what you thought a priest was is incorrect. You know, we all have a responsibility to give the gospel. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says that we've been put in trust with the gospel message. God has done that. Um, the rocks would cry out, but uh, he's asked us to do it. And the angels certainly know what the gospel message is. And they know they're excluded from it. And they're actually sent, as we see in Hebrews chapter 2, they are supposed to minister to us as we go and do that. So it's, you know, it's just interesting that right now the leading teaching out there about Christianity is, you know, if you don't feel that way, then it's not really meant to happen. One of the scariest things in that video, I thought, was he said you need to have your calling confirmed by godly men. And he said you might feel led, but then these godly men don't confirm it. And he's like, you have to have a brutal conversation that it's not your time. And I'm like, can you imagine? As a, a child of God, you're growing, you're applying the word, you're, let's say you're, you're leading people to the Lord, and then you have a group of men that just disagree and think, well, I know what the Bible says, but this is not what we think. That's scary. And uh, how detrimental that can be to someone's growth. Um, you know, this is, in fact, why a lot, there, there's a large group of people, uh, they primarily are on the internet, that are not interested in church because, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. And what ends up happening is they have a bad experience with one, and so they label everybody wrong. I was talking with somebody over email, and as soon as they found out that I was a pastor, I don't know what took them so long, because my signature is the same, Jesse Martinez, pastor, Calvary Community Church, you know, but as soon as they found out that I was a pastor of a church, they wrote off everything that I said, you know, because all of a sudden there, there was a stigma that came with it, they had a bad experience, and so they now place that onto the way that I lead. I can't help that, the only thing that I can do is point people to the truth, okay, the, I'm not leading by my own crafty ideas. We're teaching God's word. And so I'm going to, sometimes I'm going to point your, your eyes in this direction. Sometimes the Lord's going to grab the back of your head and, and force it on you. You know, like, hey, look at this, pay attention. And uh, whether it's going to be a, a gentle thing or a harsh thing is up to you. But we can't, we can't uh, say, well, I'm going to keep going because I feel good and I'm in a church that loves me and, and, and everything is nice and rosy and so therefore I'm going to serve. And then as soon as things get bad... Oh, we're going to quit. That's why that verse is there, and that's where we're going to pick up. If you look at verse 9 of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Okay, so there's two things that we can learn here. Um, first of all, we're not supposed to quit, and second of all, as we do good, we will get weary. We're going to get tired. Um, my in-laws just bought a camper, a little pop-up camper, and we were trying to fit it into their garage, and in order to do that, we had to take a bunch of stuff out. Well, they have a full gym rack in there, Okay. Haven't been to the gym in a while, and I'll just leave it at that. And picking up a 50-pound weight, I don't know what I was thinking. I picked up both of them, and there was a set of 50-pound weights, and I, I was like, whoa. 
you know, and then you move it in one place, to be honest, because it's not that far of a walk. Then you realize that you have to move this thing. You've got to move those again. And it wasn't just two sets of 50s, two sets of 50s, 45s, 40s, 35s, 30s. So as I'm moving this stuff, it's like I grab the lighter stuff first after I grab the big 50 pounds. I'm carrying 100 pounds. And even the lighter stuff was getting heavy. And we had to move it three times. And I thought, this weight, although it's insignificant, I, I was really excited about the two-pound rubber weights, you know? Those were fun. And it was like, this is no problem. I'm actually going to put these in one hand. Look at this, you know what I'm saying? But I'm sure if you were to do that all day, you're, you're, you're picking up 10 pounds and putting down 10 pounds all the time, there's going to come a time where your body is just sore to that. Well, in the, the, the same kind of aspect of our Christian life, as we're doing things well, I say this all the time, it's the hardest thing for people to come to church. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing to be consistent in our prayer life. Why is that? It's because it's not something that is a part of our flesh. It's actually directly opposed to it. And it's hard to do it. And the reason why it's hard to do it is it's a part of our spirit nature. It's something that we should do in the spirit, but our spirit is weak because we walk in the flesh. So how do we actually overcome that? How can we be consistent in church attendance or consistent in prayer, consistent in taking advantage of soul winning opportunities? You got to discipline yourself to do it. I mean, it's not... If you choose not to do it, then it's not going to get done. I mean, it's that simple. Think about the leak in your house right now that you've yet to fix. Or that one area where it's like every time you walk by it, you're like, I'll get to it someday, but today is not someday. <laughs> you know, Tomorrow. When are you going to do it? Tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, when are you going to do it? Tomorrow. <laughs> There's always something that pushes it out. As we discipline ourselves, you're not going to get as weary because it's going to become a part of your, your day, a part of your week. You know, even when my wife and I go on vacation, we, we're very, we are very sensitive to we need to be here on Sundays. And if I'm here on Sunday, then that means I've got to be here on Saturday. We're not rolling in Sunday, you know. I've got to be in here enough time. It's like, well, when do you ever have time to do stuff? Well, we don't get to do all the things that everyone would say is a normal thing to do. We're going to be here. We're going to make that sacrifice. It's not something that is weary for us anymore. When I first started understanding the importance of being here when the doors are open, that's when it was difficult. Because all the excuses that I had made before, now I had to confront them with, well, you need to be a church. But I don't want you to be a church. And so you started going and things get easier. Now we're not talking about church attendance particularly here, but I think that's one of the largest things that people struggle with, and prayer. I think the first result in a lot of our minds is problem solving. We're problem solving people. That's how things work for us. So when a problem comes up, we try to solve it without involving a lot of people. When the first thing that we should do is ask the Lord for, for guidance. It doesn't mean you're paralyzed either. Like, well, I can't do anything because I haven't heard from God. No, as you know what the Word says, you'll be able to do things instantaneously. But prayer is very important. Last year, with everything that happened with Kyla, we, we really understood the power of prayer. There's a lot of times you get out of the hospital, everything's going good, and then all of a sudden you're right back in, you're at the emergency room again. And then you're trying to figure out, well, how long is this season going to last? Well, it's really not uh, for, for God to answer how long. It's for me to say, all right, I'll trust you. I mean, has he, not, has he proven himself to be unfaithful yet? We can, we can rely on him. The last part of that verse is, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. 
as you continue to put things away through your spiritual nature, you're going to reap those things. Don't quit, though. Because as soon as you stop planting the seed, guess what? The fruit's over. As soon as you close your mouth to soul winning, when you uh, don't allow yourself to be a person of prayer, well, then those opportunities go away. Opportunity costs. That's something in investing, of course. When you have a certain amount of money and you're going to invest it in a certain stock over the other, a lot of people, especially in the retirement fund community, will tell you about the opportunity risk. It's like, yes, this one's stable, but this one has more upside, and if you invest in the stable and the other one goes to the upside, this is what you're risking in, in loss. And people understand this. Uh, I think the same thing applies to how we serve the Lord. If we're going to cut corners for the sake of we want something now, we're going to miss out on something we could have later. Okay, so there's always an opportunity risk there. Verse 10 is where we're really starting to get into the PS of everything, where it's like, all right, I'm ending the letter. Here's some closing thoughts. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are, the, uh, are of the household of faith. I think this is interesting here. I, I don't want to get political, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to say very clearly that a lot of people that are conservative Christians are really, really nasty to people who disagree with them. It's, it's sad. Uh, there's, there's slogans and phrases that have derogatory meanings, and Christians are accepting them because it's funny and culturally relevant. There's, there's a surefire way to turn off your opportunity to lead people to Christ if they can look at your bumper stickers and tell exactly what you think about them. And I know that's not a popular thing because we are living in a very hot, uh, hotly contested time, and I get that. But I, I would rather have somebody know what I believe because they ask me and we have a conversation instead of uh, a shirt that I wear or a certain thing that I promote on my car. Shouldn't be that way. I just don't think it's that way. And this is why I believe that, because this says right here, we should do good unto all men, even the people that vote differently than us. We're talking about this in uh, the men's Bible study on the topic of abortion and how it is insane um, how contested that environment is right now. And how we need to be careful that abortion does not become the main issue as Christians. Not to say we don't stand up for what is right, but let's not have that be the only thing that we fight for. Is that a horrible thing to do? Is abortion a horrible thing to do? Absolutely. What is it? It's sin. It's murder. Let's call it for what it is. However, Jesus died for that sin. And if you have a problem with that, you need to take a moment and, and reassess. Are we going to say there's groups of people in the world that because of some horrible things that they've done, I'm not going to talk to them. Somebody else will talk to them. You've got to look at this verse and, and have a real conversation. Bitterness is deep. It runs deep. It's like, <laughs> I remember in uh, high school, someone did a really horrible prank. Like it's, it, it wasn't even funny. I think pranks in their nature are supposed to be, you know, comical. I'm not one for them because it's just, it's uncalled for them most times, but somebody put sugar in another kid's gas tank. Okay, that's not a joke. I mean, that car is, if, if I, I, I never knew if he started up the car or not. 
I just think you saw the gas can was open and there was enough sugar in there that it was coming out. Okay, you could probably fix that, but if he attempted to start the car, I mean, that's pretty much game over. I mean, at that point, it's like we've we've gone too far. And I think in in the same vein of you know looking at wow, that's such a horrible thing. How could you forgive somebody for that? We can forgive people. Forgiveness is always available. But uh, if you've got bitterness, it's like starting that car with the sugar in the tank. It's, it's going to ruin you. If there's, like, there's, that, there's, there's just that one person, I can't forget, I've got a grudge. I can't believe that people would vote that way. I can't believe that they would say those things. Well, maybe you should stop watching the YouTube channels and the news networks that glorify that and vilify those people. Maybe it's time to wake up and realize that there's a lot of things going on in the world today that are designed to divide people. You know, one of the things I did in 2020, I got rid of all the social media on my phone. I still have a Facebook account because I think there's a lot of profit in that, but it's not notifying me every day. Hey, this person said this. You want to check it out? Hey, this guy posted and you liked another person. You might like him. You want to check it out? You know what I realized after the first couple months? A lot more room to think independently. A lot more room to allow this to be in my mind every day. It's, a, it's uh, a statistic that about 60% of people, the first thing they do in the morning is they check their phone for at least 15 to 30 minutes. That's, that's a high number. I know we're talking about you know, people being addicted and stuff. Can you be addicted to that? Absolutely. The average attention span right now in our youth is seven seconds. Do you know what that is compared to? Get ready. A goldfish. You got seven seconds to capture people's attention. And they are mastering how they use that seven seconds. You ever notice now when you're on social media, the video naturally plays automatically? You usually, I mean, not even usually, it's standard now, the video plays automatically. And there's a setting buried deep in the settings where you can turn that off. But we're being conditioned to be against one another. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of that church. I, can't, I think it's Westboro something, but they, they, they were very vocal against the homosexual community. Is homosexuality a sin? Absolutely, it's a, it's a sin. There's no doubt about it. Is the Bible clear on it? Yes. We know that. Are we now going to bar them access to faith in Christ? There are preachers that believe the gospel like you and me and believe that the homosexual will not be saved. There's a problem there. Well, so this means we can't preach hard on sin. That's not what it says either. I believe the best way that we can do good to our fellow man is to share the gospel with them. You see them struggling, you go meet the need. I mean, it could be as easy as, you know, cutting their grass helping them with the lawn work, you know, offering an opportunity to cook them a meal. Well, I'm not going to do that. That's going out of my way. It's not just so you can say, oh, good job, you did a good deed. You plant the seeds of the gospel that way. We're doing that with a neighbor right now. We've, I've, I've talked to him three times, and I've made a joke about, you should come over and experience my cooking. It'll, it'll, really, teach you to be a, it'll really teach you to be a man of prayer. <laughs> and he thought that was funny. But we're working on setting that up. He's going to come over, and you know what? We're going to have nice meat. 
We're going to cook, and there'll be an opportunity to share the gospel. I've already shared the gospel with them once, but I want them to come into my home because I want to reach this, this man and his wife. I'm like, no, you know what? <laughs> I saw a sticker on their car. I know who they vote for. I'm, they're not coming to my house. Really? That's the way we're going to be? Got to be careful. Or even people who do not do good unto you. When we were talking in the study yesterday, we were talking about avoiding destructive behavior. And the number one way you avoid destructive behavior is you do not put yourself in a position to do it. Okay? And if we're looking at men, for an example, destructive behavior is linked to anger. Okay? When, when, when you get angry, I'm sure all of you know what this is like. It just all of the warning signs and all the signals are out the door. It's just like, I'm angry. It's about me right now. It's my time. Here it is. And sometimes it's a verbal thing. Sometimes people lash out physically, and it can be very dangerous. But we were talking about how to avoid destructive behavior, and I shared a story. And I'm going to share it with you now since this is what we're talking about. In 2016, I became very politically aware because I, this, it was the first time that I sat down and watched these presidential debates at that time, and I took notes. And I saw where these people stand. And I went on their websites and looked at what they were promoting, and I, I took notes, and I had every candidate in a category. You remember how many candidates there were at that time? It was a bunch. And, and, and Trump was taking clear lead for a long time. My guy was Ben Carson, and I was really excited about that. And then the day before the primaries here in Florida, he dropped out. So then my next guy became Ted Cruz. And so I went and I voted for him. And then, of course, I came to the conclusion that I was going to make a selection, and I made a selection. But I remember finding out what people believed, and, and I was shocked that it was public, that people were running on these policies. I was taking Pentateuch at the time, and Mr. Brooks, uh, Mr. Brooks moved now. He's in uh, Kissimmee, just so you guys know. He was an elder here for a while, great man, great teacher. He was teaching on Joseph. And he said a statement there in that Joseph is a type of Christ. And I believe that 100%. And he got to the last part when the, the very people that sold Joseph into slavery were brought before him. And now Joseph has a decision to make. These are the ones who actually put him through all this misery. Boy, the movies today would be like, execute him, make him starve. Well, yeah, yeah, he got, got the revenge. But he said a very wise statement. What you meant for evil, God did for good. I learned a lesson. I learned a very important lesson. And I paired that with what it says in Romans. That vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Boy, in Romans chapter 9 it says, who are we to say who God will show mercy upon and who he will show his wrath upon? It's not for us to say. But isn't it great to know that God has demonstrated mercy to us? That the leash is long? Some of us may even be here tonight and we're really trying to test how long that leash is. Careful that you don't get what's coming to you in discipline. But I learned in that time, I thought, yes, I get angry and I, there are things that make me upset with the way our leaders are leading or not leading, if I can be plain. However, what they are doing for evil, God will mean he will, he will get it done for good. And I believe I'm a part of that good part. If I have the right attitude in that I want to win the soul, I can be used to be able to do good unto all men. And so can you. 
but do we have walls up? Not that person, not that belief. Be careful. Now, the next part of this verse is also just as important as the first part. Especially, there's a divider there. Especially, let us do good unto all men. Especially, unto them who are of the household of faith. To our fellow believer, we ought to be ready to do what is ever necessary to help them in their time of need and persecution. I think this is going to be magnified when the tribulation happens. Underground churches, underground networks where people can get food because they have not taken the mark. People are going to not be able to buy or sell. They're going to be persecuted left and right. But can we also demonstrate Christ-like love to our fellow brother and sister in Christ? Why would we harm our own body? Why would we make it impossible for believers to be brought back into fellowship? Now, there is a place for church discipline, and I believe that wholeheartedly. That there are things that the Bible says very clear is a cause for separation of fellowship until they're ready to get right. And we ought to do those things. However, it should never be, you will never be welcomed back into fellowship. It should never be that way. Ever. We have to do what is necessary to bring people back, restore, as I said in the beginning of this chapter, we have to restore people. Guess what? If you get rid of everybody who disagrees with you, it's not going to be long before you're the only one coming to church. <laughs> I like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, of course you do. It's you. I think that's a very important verse for our culture today, especially for young people. I think young people, and what I mean by young is people in their mid-twenties right now that are just coming out of college and they're facing a lot of different things and it's cool to be a conservative and be really rude and, and be inflammatory. That's the cool thing to do. That's not the cool thing to do. The right thing to do is to humble yourself and reach people. And I just think that's being missed on the young people today. We're just missing that. It's us versus them. No, we need to reach them. And if they say no, they say no. But we don't give up. All right, well, maybe they don't want you to talk to them anymore. Okay, can you, can you stop praying for them? You should continue to pray for them. Now, verse 11, he gets into this idea of the new life and sacrificial love. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand? And this is, this is uh, talking about, the I believe, the problem he had with his eyes. It was common in that time and it was a disease um, that was common in, in his area in the Middle East, and it led, at the end of it, it led to blindness. And so there, there's, there's theories out there where he would dictate his, uh, Paul would dictate his letters and people would write, but it was apparent here, and the Holy, it's, it's here in the Bible, so it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, his letter was of large writing. <laughs> And he goes, he says that, and then he brings in this thought. Now I want you, we're going to read the, the passage and then I'm going to break it down for you. As many, so let's start there in verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. You match this with what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, he's making a point. 
I actually care for you. I have this problem with my eyes. I'm writing the letter myself. I've been amongst you. I've reached you. I love you. These people don't love you. They only love you if you're willing to do what you, they want you to do. Do you see the... That's a very illuminating mindset. They constrain, verse 12, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they suffer persecution from the cross of Christ. They're going to make you go through all the persecution and the suffering, but as soon as it gets hot for them, they're gone. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. He goes on to say, they're a hypocrite. Circumcision alone is not a full fulfillment of the law. Well, you got circumcised. You don't have to do anything else. There's a bunch of other stuff that's listed in the Old Testament they had to do. And the point that Paul is making here is they don't do all of those things, yet they ask you to do it. I believe this is talking very clearly about how Paul is the example. He's suffering. We're going to kind of peek at the end here because I think it's important to see. Look at what it says there in verse 17. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks. If Paul were to take his robe off, it would be a scarred body. If we were to peek into the things that he witnessed, shipwreck, hunger, starvation. He, had, he got bitten by a snake. <laughs> he was whipped and stoned, I believe, and he, he died in that. And eventually, head removed from his body. Yet the people who come in and want to teach you salvation by works, everything's good, man. No persecution with them. They got the nicest clothes. They got the nicest smile. But they have no real service experience. They haven't been in the trenches, so to speak. Oh, but they're ready to put you out there. Oh, you go do it. Go, go get circumcised. You know how painful that would be for a man? Who's grown? My goodness. Yeah, you go do it. Are you keeping all... Don't look at me. Look at yourself. And then as soon as it's time to be persecuted for their faith, they're out. That's the reason why they were Judaizers. <laughs> because all the persecution that was coming for being identified with Christ, they just said, oh yeah, Jesus Christ. But, but, we got to keep doing the Jewish thing. And now the Jews are going to persecute them. They found their way out. But Paul is saying here, I'm suffering because I love you. And these people just want to use you for their benefit. Then verse 14 really shows his heart even more. And I think because it's here in the Scripture that we should have the same attitude. Verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory. You know, working for Dr. Arnold for 10 years, it was interesting as we got closer to see all of the attacks that he went through. Dr. Arnold speaks very plainly, right? And there are some things that he says, and people take it the wrong way. They'll, they'll, they'll clip him on the internet. They'll make a 30-second you know, clip of a, out of a 45-minute video. 
they'll make a 30-second clip and just talk about how prideful he is and how arrogant he is. And people think because he has an RV that he has millions of dollars. I can show you the comments. You know what's so interesting about the things that people say about Dr. Arnold and the truth of Dr. Arnold? He's a humble man. He's a one-track-minded man. He just wants to win people. If you guys got his newsletter this past week, the guy is going a million miles an hour. He goes to where the floods are. Didn't plan it, but there, there he is. He goes where there's three tornado warnings in one week. Fun, right? Exciting. And yeah, he's traveling in a motorhome, but it's not a 2020 motorhome, okay? <laughs> he's getting around. He's talking to people. He's making extra stops and extra trips. He's still preaching the gospel. And he'd give you the shirt off of his back if he could. I've seen it, where he's met my need several times. No questions asked. And he has no glory in himself. Dr. Lindstrom, the same way. He cared about the gospel. He cared about teaching. These are the people that we should try and be like. Not to say, well, I'm like Dr. Arnold, therefore I've arrived. But you know who they're modeling their behavior after? Christ. Did he not meet the need of people who were seeking? He still does. He met your need. He met mine. And the intent here of Paul is that he's saying, God forbid that I should glory. It's not about me. The legalist makes it about me. And the only glory that Paul says he has is in the last part, the middle part of this verse, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By, and look, this is amazing. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know what? When I was 12 years old and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the world died to me of none effect anymore. And I had to learn how that I didn't have to serve the world and what the world says is right. That I'm found in Christ. It, it was, this just happened to me in my office. I'm sitting there and you know, you're, you're writing notes and your you know, emails are coming in and texts and all this kind of stuff. And There was just a moment where I had a chance to just be quiet and, and think about my salvation. The depths of my deliverance. It never ceases to amaze me that even though in that moment I could have died right there in my office, just could, let's just say heart stops, whatever it is. My life isn't over in that moment. That I, I, I know where I'm going. I have peace and hope because of Jesus Christ. That if the Lord were to not come back for 50 years and this nation went through persecution and I would have to be on trial for my faith and maybe even suffer bodily harm for it, I think I'd have the strength that is necessary in just that Jesus died for me and I'm going to go see him to bear it. There's nothing that this world can offer you that's like what Jesus has already done for you. Why do we think this life of service is all about us? It's not. We're serving Him, period. 
And some of the greatest men and women that you'll meet in your life are people who are serving the Lord out of a pure heart. They're doing it for Him. I want to be a man like that. I married a woman who was like that. For those of you who don't know, my wife had some very strict requirements for what I was going to do if I was going to become her husband. And I wasn't going to serve the Lord. If it, if, if, if it were up to me, I was ready to go pursue a music career and go try to get into the New York Philharmonic up there and do all that kind of stuff. That was my plan. But I saw the dedication of my wife, how I would miss the youth group and she would still go, how I would not come to church and she would still go. And I saw her faithfulness and dedication. And it made me think, well, what, why am I not going to these things? Because I don't want to. Why do you not want to go? Because you're a disobedient child, that's why. And I'm glad. I'm glad that I went through those things. Got myself into the Scripture to realize the truth of this statement is not just true for the Apostle Paul. It's true for me and it's true for you. What is the truth of that statement? By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We live unto Jesus now. We're His. We're not of this world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. What a great proof text for the new birth. I've said this over and over and over. You don't get saved and all of a sudden you're an HGTV project. We had this old dilapidated house that we turned around for $8 million, you know? By the way, isn't it funny on those programs that the people's budgets are just getting more and more insane? The, the guy's like, yeah, I sell goldfish. And the wife's like, yep, and I'm a catwalker. And our budget is $82 million. <laughs> it's like, what? how? <laughs> how in the world <laughs> out of those two professions? But we're not a reclamation project. He's not, God didn't say, all right, you got saved. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change this, this man and make it better, a better man. No, he gives you a brand new nature. You're a new creature. And that's what is said here. I want to look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. On page 1233. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Not that you're going to ever act out in your flesh again, but you have a brand new nature within you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see the wonderful comparison here, similarity to I was crucified unto the world, or the world was crucified unto me and I unto the world. You don't have to live in that sin nature anymore. You don't have to live in that old nature. You can live in a brand new creation. And one day you're going to die and this body will return back into the ground and you get a new body of that new nature. Isn't that wonderful? Guys, there's nothing better. Turn back with me to the last three verses in Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at 16, 17, and 18. He makes that statement in verse 15 about 
It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about becoming a new creature, which is a result of faith in Christ. Verse 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. I think Paul was in deep pain here. I think it was, it was uh, painful for him to go through this persecution, knowing what he had come from, knowing what he had understood from Jesus Christ himself. Don't forget, a majority of chapter 1 and 2 lay out Paul's credibility for being an apostle. He had seen the resurrected, uh, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He had gotten his gospel directly from him. Yet even though he knew what he saw, he knew what he experienced, he knew what he believed, people still turned on him. And it's a sad truth, but I think if you get it under your understanding right now that not everybody who says they're going to be there is going to be there save Jesus Christ. So we better put all of our eggs in that basket. If we're serving people for the sake of they'll never leave us, you got another thing coming. People are not a guarantee. For I bear the marks, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And we talked about that. I think he also bore those marks that we can't see. The, the deep cut of a word or somebody betraying us. And isn't it great to know that Jesus went through those same things too, that he's not a stranger to that? Judas offering him up for 30 pieces of silver. I think the most heartbreaking one, to be honest with you, is Peter, denying the Lord three times. And then when the Lord came back, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I don't think that was a coincidence. And look at the forgiveness of our Savior in that moment. And all the things that we've done that put him up on that cross. And he still forgives us. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Look at the beginning of this book. Chapter 1, verse 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And then you read that last statement. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Folks, it starts with him and it ends with him. And we are sustained until our end by him. I like how this letter ends. It's very personal. Most of Paul's letters are like this. But I like this one the most because you see the heart of a servant. You see somebody who's gone through persecution. You see somebody who has a genuine care for people. Yet he still points it back to Christ. I want that to be said of us at this church. You can close your Bibles. I want Calvary Community Church to be a place where people can come and hear the truth and meet real, genuine believers. And what do I mean by that? <laughs> people who are saved by grace and they're living by it. You know what I'm saying? They're going out and offering help. That, that banner out there, that roadside banner, the Simple Steps banner, it's been up there for two months now. 
I believe there's people driving by it every day. They just haven't worked up the courage to come in. That's fine. When they're ready to come in on a Friday night, guess who's going to be ready to meet them? People who care. They really care about them. I went to a clinic on Friday, and I had scheduled this appointment, and it was like Fort Knox to get in there. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It was difficult. Like No one knew that I was coming and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't give up. I was like, well, I know the Lord wants me to be here. This is the only place that allowed me to come this week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here and just wait for them to figure it out. Well, it took about 15 minutes, but I walked in, had a chance to talk to them. And the two ladies who I talked to, they're two social workers, they asked me a lot of really good questions about the program, and I gave them clear answers. And they said, you know, we really appreciate this. You're the only church that's ever come in here to offer a service like this. I think that's great. I think that's great. Because they know what I look like, they know what our church looks like. It would be a real shame if someone did come on a Friday night and we weren't ready. There's been a couple Friday nights where it's just the staff. Some people would look at that and go, oh, what a failure. I don't think it is. The staff knows the program inside and out. There's been times where we've had two new people in one night. We're not going to quit. And I say, well, people aren't coming, so we've got to shut it down, because, you know, electricity. The Lord will provide the money for the electricity bill. And I believe he'll provide the people. But I want us to be a real church, a real church that cares about our community, with people that are ready to go out and win souls and bring people in. Can you imagine if everybody that came to church this, this Sunday morning brought one more person next week? We'd be shoulder to shoulder. And there were two that came from Seattle. They just, on a whim, came on in this morning. Isn't that a great thing? That we were open, that we had service, that we were prepared. One of these days I want to get back to that meet and greet. I love that meet and greet. It was fun to walk around and see everybody walk around and you know, shake hands and talk to one another. It was a, it's a great thing. I want us to be a real church that's really excited to serve. And the only way that we can do that is we have our eyes off of the world and it's on Jesus. Let me show you the gospel message here. This hand represents you and me. My wallet represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God, but we all fall short. The wages of sin, as the Bible describes, is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. You cannot work your way to heaven. No amount of good works, starting something, stopping something, committing your life to good works, it'll never save you, ever. The Bible says that we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. The honest truth is, if you were able to save yourself, then why did Jesus Christ have to die? if you could do it yourself. And if he had to die to simply show us a way, then that person should be able to stand next to Jesus and say, I did it too. And that is certainly not going to happen. Not of works lest any man should what? Boast. This hand represents Jesus Christ for the sake of the illustration. He was fully God and fully man. And what he did on the cross is he took that sin, put it on himself, and he paid for it, period. Salvation is deliverance from that payment of sin. And it occurs when you place your faith in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, you are delivered and you're delivered permanently. You actually, there's actually a passing that happens. Jesus said it in John 5, 24. You're passed from death unto life. And it's a certain kind of life. It's everlasting life. So does that mean you believe in once saved, always saved? I believe it because the Bible says it. Once you're saved, you are saved forever. Now because of that, you can realize who we serve. And you can be faithful in serving Him. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? For those watching on the internet, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If, if this message made sense and you'd like to put your faith in Christ that makes sense to you, go ahead and do so. Believe on Him. If you're watching this on the replay or maybe even 10 years from now, the offer is still there. If you're alive, it's still available. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Father, thank you so much. This is such a wonderful book, the Bible, and, and all that's compiled in it. Galatians is, is just as good as all of them. But thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we should be doing good to all men, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that has a root of bitterness, they're upset, and they have blocked people off from their lives, I pray that they would have a, a change of mind and decide to reach those people. Maybe there's apologies that need to be made. Lord, I pray that they, they would be made. Maybe there's bridges that need to be rebuilt which will require time and resources. I pray that that will be provided. Lord, I just, I'm very thankful tonight for my salvation. I'm thankful for what has already been freely given to me. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.